So whether you've been with us for the last uh, six weeks or whether you're just joining us for the first time today, um, we are finishing up this series called Different. And uh, what this series started with was looking at Easter, uh, the highlight of the church year for the Christians, really the highlight of a Christian's life. Uh, No more shame, no more guilt, no more sin. Jesus rose, the check has cleared the bank, your sin is paid for. And you have nothing but heaven to look forward to. And if Easter changed everything, we said, then what does that mean for a Christian? What does that mean, then, as I live my life as a follower, as a disciple of God? And the way we've summarized it so far is essentially in one word, what that means is you are different in the way you think, in the way you speak, in the way you act, in the way you live, in the way you adult, in the way you school, in the way you work and serve, in all your relationships, you and I are called to be different from the rest of the world. But with Jesus, different is always better. It's always a good thing. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world that you and I and collectively the church, which isn't a building, it's people, are to live lives that are so attractive, so otherworldly, that the world sees it and says, what makes you tick? That there's this genuine love that is pouring out of us where we speak the truth in love and we serve not just a few people but all people. Jesus himself said, the world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And he sets this bar for being his follower, really high. Throughout this series, if if you've been with us throughout this series, um, Jesus had said things like, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. He says things like prioritizing him uh, above all the other good things that could come in the way. And and all of these things, like we've just seen, the bar is set so high. And, And I wonder if some of us, when we look at what Jesus asks of us as his followers to say, How in the world can I live up to that? Now, let me, of course, say that you're not a Christian if you do those things, right? It's not like saying, okay, I'll save you if and only if you live up. Nope. Jesus saved you all by himself. Amen. Now he says, follow me. this, This is the implication of what it means to follow him as a Christian. But I think for a lot of people, they look at this these sky-high calling and they say, how can I carry that out? That's, that's really intense. Uh, it's beautiful, but it, it's hard work. And that's why I'm really glad we get to look at Peter today. Peter, on this uh, Pentecost day that we celebrate, while he doesn't mention the Holy Spirit by name in the works that we're going to look at today, everything that he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit working inside of you to change you, to transform you, to, to work and, and carry out this calling that he's given you. And what's remarkable, he says some very deep things we're going to get into. Um, I'll try not to make your eyes glaze over. I'll try not to let it go over your head. But then we're also going to say some highly practical things for you and I. Again, as the series has done, he's going to challenge us, but in a good way so that you won't look at your calling the same way again, that you won't look at the gospel and Jesus maybe the same way again, and maybe even just other aspects of your life. So the question, how do we live this out? Well, Peter basically says, well, we have a different power. It's not self-help. It's not 
self-effort and willpower and you just try hard. No, instead, I love the way Peter starts out encouraging you and I and all the Jews that he was, uh, the Jewish converts and Christians that he was uh, ministering to. Here's how he says it. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So these first couple verses, we're going we're gonna to break down. But essentially, he says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything you need to live up to this calling. You don't need to search for it. You don't need to look deep down in yourself and do I have what it takes. No. In, in order for us to change and to live up to this calling, this has to be an inner transformation. This isn't something mechanical that I can just try really hard and get better at. No, this is an inner transformation. And everything you need has been given to you. And that's really great because a normal thought that people often have is that uh, people don't change. You ever heard that before? Well, this is just my personality. This is just how I'm wired. This is just who I am. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. I was born this way. There's many ways that we can package it, but, but it's this, this lie that people don't change. Peter says, no, you have to change. Actually, change is necessary. It's essential because if you think about it, if God called you and created faith in you to be different, And that, by definition, means you are changed. You are different than the rest of the world. He didn't save you so you could just go right back to your life living the way you were. He gave you a new purpose. Change. That's actually one of the things that's at the heart of Christianity. Uh, Sometimes the word repent kind of gets a little bit of a bad rap. But repent's a beautiful thing. Repent is essentially, all it means is to change a change of mind, a change of heart, a, a change of attitude. You're going this direction, you repent. You you change. You say, no, I, I, want, I want what God wants, not what, what my heart wants, right? Change is essential. Change is necessary. And, and how does this change take place? Well, he says, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And essentially, if you wanted to boil that down into one simple illustration, this. I know, a pastor with a Bible seems kind of cliche, but no, this is this is everything you need. But I think it's, you got to explain it more than just saying like, okay, read your Bible. Um, and sometimes people say, okay, well, this, this word is power, but how does that power work? How does that power, do I just, so I memorize a passage, I'm in trouble, so I say a passage, uh, I, I read it, and I'm supposed to, how, how does this work? Um, that's what Peter starts to explain in the next verse. He says, through these, essentially, everything that God has given you, He's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. We'll come back to that. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay. Lots to unpack. Let's dive in. Essentially, he says through these, he's given us his precious promises. How this power, how this book works, is it's all hinged on God's word and the promises of God. And again, it's not by saying, okay, I change by just trying really hard. By No, it's, it's by rooting yourself into the promises of God and living them out. So promises like what? Well, here's a couple that I just came up with. A promise like Isaiah 43. 
But do not fear, I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. You know, if like, like it feels like the, the world is falling down around you. There's so much chaos and destruction going on in your life. And a passage like this, if you're rooted in it, can give you so much peace. The God of the universe says, I've, I've summoned you by name. You're mine. You don't have to fear. <laughs> How about a passage like this? Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Now, there's, this, uh, there's this thing I, I'll hear. Sometimes people say it tongue-in-cheek or just sarcastic or joking. Like, if I walked into that church, you know, I, something, either the church is going to start on fire or I'm going to start on fire, right? Um, but this passage says, you know, whatever guilt, whatever shame, whatever is there in your life that you just, you just obsess over, God's removed it. East, West, and they never touch. And that's how far God has sent that sin away. What about a promise like Romans 8, 28? We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. That is a phenomenal promise. That, that if something terrible happens, and it will, suffering is guaranteed in this life, that God says, you know, this, this terrible thing, I don't want it to happen, Sin is a messy thing. I don't cause sin. But he is so big that he can use the disasters, the calamities, the suffering that we go through for his good purposes. And even if you and I can't see it, we can praise God that suffering isn't meaningless and that he's always able to do something good out of that. That is a phenomenal promise to ground yourself in. What about another promise? Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. If you've ever been, uh, if you've ever been depressed, if you've ever been alone and scared and, and just thinking no one's there, can you imagine the power of a promise like this? And I could go on and on and on. There's literally hundreds of promises in God's word. But if you live in and live out these promises, he says through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Now, this is like a Bible 4501 topic. That's <laughs> it's deep. Uh, it's so good. It's so complex. So let me just try to simplify it for you. What does this mean? When you were conceived by your parents, your mom and your dad's DNA essentially made up your DNA. And as you grow and live and grow up, that, that DNA, the genetic makeup of you, manifests itself into who you are. So that DNA decides whether you're going to be tall or short, whether you're going to have straight hair, curly hair, attached earlobes, how big your nose is going to be, what eye color you're going to have, if you're going to be balding like I am, if you're going to have a beautiful head. Right? All of that stuff, as you, as you grow on, it manifests itself. And in a sense, that's kind of like how the Holy Spirit is working in you. Like, at conversion, the Holy Spirit makes faith in your heart. And as we heard in the song we just sang, like, there is someone else living in you. It's called the Holy Spirit. He's working in you. And as you live, essentially the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself out in your actions as you live out these promises, as you live out this calling, 
participating in the divine nature of God, and he's creating you to be the disciple, the person that he wants you to be. It's huge. It's great. And everything you need for this godly life has been given to you, which means there's no excuse. Like, there's no sin, there's no shame, there's no guilt that's too big for God not to get over. And there's no excuse like, well, I just can't change, well, my behaviors, well, my habits, well, my... Everything you need. He's given it all to you. So why don't we see more change? In our lives, across the board of especially American Christianity, we've talked about some sobering statistics over the last weeks about how there's a lot of people who are Christian in name, but there's a lot of this kind of backsliding or this casual Christianity that, yep, it sounds good, but my priorities and my heart and everything else are actually in all of these worldly things. And while I'm Christian in name, I'm not really living it out. And, and it's, it's a sobering reality. But we don't say it just so we can say, okay, we're better, so we can judge people. But rather, it's a wake-up call to say, is that you? Is there change going on in your heart and life? Are you growing in your faith? We've give, been given all the tools, everything you need, so where are you at? And the, and the reason why it is so hard, the reason why we don't see more and more growth is because your hearts are incredibly stubborn. Incredibly stubborn. Uh, Peter puts it this way. For this reason, make every effort. I probably should have highlighted those three words. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. And he could have gone on. Like the apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 puts his own list. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, on and on and on and on. Now let me interact with you real quick. Uh, As you As you look over this list, raise your hand if you would want more goodness, more knowledge, more self-control, more perseverance, more godliness, more mutual affection, more love. Raise your hand if you'd like more of that in your life. I haven't really met a Christian who has said no to that. And I don't think I would ever meet a genuine Christian who would say no to that. Of course we want more of that. We want to be more patient. We want to be more loving. We want to be more compassionate to those people so why, why don't we see it? Well, it's because every single day is a battle against your, yourself. We're called to be different because you know what's normal? The selfish inclinations of our hearts. Like every single one of us is inclined by nature to just do what's best for me and myself. I want the world to revolve around me. You've heard me use countless analogies of my own little kids and how they just want to be the centers of the universe. And if you've got kids, you, you know how that is, right? Just serve me and no, I want to do whatever I want. And I want what's good for me. I want what's best for me. I want what makes me enjoy everything. And, and if something's hard, well, it's, it's too hard. To deny yourself, Jesus said. Why do we hate that word deny? Nobody likes to be denied something. And yet that's our calling, to deny ourselves, to be different, to fight against that heart. And our hearts are stubborn. They are stubborn. They are so hard to fight against. And that's why 
Peter says, it doesn't just take a little bit of effort. It takes every effort. Have you ever tried to break a bad habit? If you've ever talked to an alcoholic who's sober, they'll tell you that to sober up, it takes a little more effort than just going to one AA meeting and deciding I'm not going to go to that bar. I've ministered to drug addicts. They were addicted to heroin. They were in prison. They got out. They sold it, did it again, went back to prison, got out. And they were just trying to figure out how they could fight it. Maybe, maybe something not quite as uh, severe, but even something as simple as, you ever tried to wake up earlier? Okay, I'm going to set my alarm for an hour earlier. Alexa, set a timer for 5 a.m. or whatever every single day, and that timer goes off, and you're just like, snooze, snooze. Alexa, shut up. You, know, you just, you can't do it. It's so hard, right? It's, it's so hard to, to break those habits. And that's what Peter is essentially saying. Making every effort, adding to this, it is, it is tough, it is hard. And so the question then that I have for you then is, are you making every effort? Or are you just kind of skating by with minimal effort? You know what, you know what takes minimal effort? Coming to church. Now, I, I don't say this to offend Anybody, I am very glad you're here. I love the fact that you're here. But I would say, on average, to make a choice to probably wake up later than you normally would if you go to school or if you have a job, to shower, maybe, to get dressed, to get in a car, to come here and sit here for an hour, hour 15, last service went an hour 20, sorry, uh, to sit here for that long and just to, to listen. Like, for the average person who is healthy and able, and I understand there's nuances, trust me, I've got four kids, my wife, bless her heart to get them here. I, but seriously, that takes minimal effort. Like, when you think about it, if you compare that effort it takes to do this versus the effort it takes to go get your groceries, it takes way more effort to do that. And yet so many times as a pastor, and I've even thought this in my earlier years too, I hear these comments of like, well, hey, I got my church in this week, pastor. Don't worry. Hey, I know I wasn't here, but I did this thing, so I got my church, and I did my church. As if, as if sitting here is some sort of like grandiose achievement, congratulate, oh, you've reached the pinnacle of what it means to be a Christian, that you sat down for an hour, hour and a half, of an entire week. That takes minimal effort. You know what takes every effort? To listen actively, engage your mind with the words and the challenges and the truths and the promises that God is saying to you, and to live it out, to change according to it. Like, you, you know what happens in a service or a sermon or when God's word is said, right? Like, like what will happen is myself or, or maybe there's something in God's word that is spoken to you and, and it's like God is holding up this giant mirror. 
and you look into it, and you're just like, oh, that was me yesterday. Oh, that's this thing I struggle with, and, and, it, and it cuts you, and it hurts. And then along comes God's grace. And the gospel is preached, and you hear about how Jesus Christ loved you, and in spite of that, he cleansed you from that sin. He took it away as far as the east is from the rest, right? And so you're, you're at the one time, uh, you're, you're cut, you're convicted. On the other hand, then you're uplifted. And you love it because it's so good. That sin is not held against me. I'm forgiven. That's great. And if that's all that happens, you missed it. You were so close. Because if we're just forgiven for the sake of being forgiven to go back to our lives and not change and not add to our faith, we're missing the point. Peter says you've got to make every effort. So, for instance, let's, let's take a topic like priorities. We, we heard about that a couple weeks ago. And when you hear the message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made you his number one priority, that he left heaven endured hell, being forsaken by God to have you. But that should move your heart to not just say, it feels good, but to go home and to say, honey, God is calling us to prioritize him. He prioritized us so much. And maybe there are some things in our lives that are good things that we're letting get in the way of of him, the good thing. And maybe we need to look at that. And that's hard. To sit down, to have those conversations, to wrestle with it. But that's what Peter's saying. Make every effort. Do you do that? Or is it just some words that you hear because you felt good, you came to church, and that's it? When you hear a message on generosity and you hear how Jesus Christ, who was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, dirt poor, not just broke, but he died for all of your sins, took all of your sins onto himself so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You have heaven to gain. You have heaven to inherit. And then he says, because God did that, God is not going to leave you hanging. He's going to get every, everything that you need, not want, need. And he's going to bless you abundantly because he can and he has. Does that move you to take that word later on that day, later on that week, in your life, and wrestle with it and say, what does this mean then for me in my life of generosity? God did that for me. I have an inheritance that will put all the riches of this world to shame. I'm not going to miss out on a thing. How am I saying thanks to God in my life, in my budget, in my money? How am I putting my faith in God and not in my money? Do you do that? Or instead, when that comes up, do you just think, oh, here's another money sermon, and and you miss the whole point. And you say maybe something like, hey, great sermon, pastor, but there's no follow-through in your life. You're not adding to your faith. And we can say the same thing for self-control, perseverance, patience, godliness, gentleness. James, in his New Testament letter, he told his people, don't just listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. (laughs) Are you just listening? 
reason why we don't see as much change when Jesus sets the bar way up here across the board of Christianity and in our own lives is not because Jesus set too high of an expectation, but I believe it's because for too long churches have set way too low of an expectation of what it means to be a Christian. And as your pastor, I'm sorry. And God is calling us to repent. He's calling us to change. He's calling us to grow. And you got to understand, every single one of us is at a different spot. I have to say this. It would be unfair for a new convert to suddenly say, like, I don't do any of this stuff. (laughs) Right. There's growth. Some of you have been Christians for decades and decades, and some of you are maybe brand new to the faith, and some of you are maybe just starting to wrestle with some of these truths in your life. But the important thing Peter says is not that you get it perfect, but that you're increasing and adding to your faith. Here's how he puts it in the next verse. He says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to think about it, think of it like this. The old yardstick out. And so if you think of your spiritual growth or your maturity in your faith, and maybe you start out over here, you know, kind of like new to the faith or kind of infancy and whatnot, and over here is, you know, you're, you're growing in maturity. Now the first thing I have to say is curb your pride and selfishness or your insecurity in thinking that, okay, if I'm over here, then I'm closer to God and I'm better than someone who's over here or I'm worse because I'm not here. And Stop. (laughs) Don't go there. We're saved by grace alone. That is ours. We're all in the same boat. We all need grace the same amount and we're all saved by grace. But this, rather, is just saying like, okay, how are you moving further along into your faith? Where's your maturity at? And so some of us are maybe here some of us are new, some of us are just learning, and some of us, maybe who've been at this game for a little longer, some of us are maybe over here, and here, and here, and here, and everywhere in between, but Peter is saying, increase. So if you're here, great, go here. If you're here, go here, and if you're here, go here. And you know that grace is not always the linear path. (laughs) Sometimes it's uh, two steps forward and you take a step back and a couple more steps forward and maybe a couple more steps back. And, right? It's a constant battle every single day. But he says keep growing. And he also says that if growth takes every effort, then you know that it doesn't just happen overnight. You're not going to come walk away from this sermon and say, Woo, I just slid all the way up to... Th- You're not going to listen and read a five-minute devotion at home right before you go to bed and say, I'm never going to struggle with patience ever again. Oh, come on, right? It takes time. And that's why the reason that you have pastors like me who stand up here and talk to you about the importance of the word. It has nothing to do with our metrics. It has nothing to do with making us look good and, oh, I have this many people in a a church service. It has nothing to do with that. You know what it has? It has everything to do with your maturity. Because the only way you and I are going to grow in our knowledge, in our faith, and closer, add to our faith, is if you're in the Word. Because that's how the Holy Spirit works. We don't say, come to these Bible studies so that you can learn a bunch of impractical points that you will never know. 
The reason why we have growth groups, these little groups that meet all around in homes and everything, that I have some at my home, is because so we can learn from everybody else and God's word. Because we have people in every stage of life, in every walk of life, in every area of life, and we, iron sharpens iron. And through the word, and through prayer, and through encouragement in a Christian community, God is able to move us along in our faith. And as a pastor, I hear countless times people who just feel a little insecure, and I get it. They say, well, pastor, you know, I, I just I don't really know that much about the Bible, and I feel kind of embarrassed, and I'm saying this isn't a challenge. <laughs> this is not a competition. This is something that's saying, okay, you don't have to learn that much about the Bible, but here's the thing. If that's going to keep you from growing, how are you ever going to move past it? If that is going to be your excuse to always keep yourself out of something, you're never going to move past it. You're never going to move forward. Peter says you've got to keep increasing. Why? Look at the last words here. It will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, what that means is because is, is your knowledge about God, about the Bible, passages, promises, is only as effective as you're living it. And if you're not living it, then it's pointless and useless. So I think we all have those friends who are like walking Wikipedias, IMDBs, encyclopedias of useless knowledge. Like uh, you know, maybe they know every single thing about the movies and the actors and the films or the songs or the Star Wars or you know, wh- whatever it is. And and it's fun for trivia, but we all say, like, yes, you know a lot of useless knowledge. Thank you very much. And it's, it's great. It's fine. If you know a lot of useless knowledge, I'm not bashing you. I'm, we all have our useless knowledge. But it's useless because it will never come in handy practically in your life. You'll never use it to move yourself along. It's not going to save you. It's, it's just some knowledge that you know. And that's fine unless that's God's word. Peter says, if that's all God's word is to you, you may, know a lot of, you may know a lot of passages, you may know a lot of promises, but if you're not living it out practically, it's useless knowledge. It's unproductive. It's ineffective. You're, you're not growing in any fruit. So, if your knowledge of God, wherever you're at on this spectrum, are you living it out? Or is it unproductive and ineffective? Some of you, have you been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 60 years? And you're still just as bitter, angry, impatient, depressed, anxious, worrisome, complain just as much as you did the last year? As you did the 10 years ago? Are you any more mature? Are you backsliding? Peter says he knows why. He says, but whoever does not have these things in increasing measure, they're nearsighted and blind. Like, you know what nearsighted is, right? Like, you can, you can see the things in front of you, but things that are further away, your eyes, it's, it's blurry, it's, it's fuzzy. And he says, that's exactly the way of the world. 
the world is, is nearsighted. They just see what's in front of it, live day to day. What's going to make me happy today? What's going to make me happy tomorrow? Uh, instant gratification. Got to fill myself up. Short-term pleasure, like all of these things. And, and you're so focused on that. And the promises of God and the truths and your eternity and everything, it's so blurry, it's so out of focus because you're not focused on that. And he says, actually, you're blind to it. You're blind to Jesus. You're blind to his promises. You're blind. Why? Because you forget that you've been cleansed from your past sins. And I get some pushback on that as a pastor. That when I, in the truth, in love, I, I, I tell someone that I'm, I'm worried about them in their faith. They've been disconnected from God for a long time. And, and I'll say, I haven't forgotten that I've been cleansed. I still know who Jesus is. I still know what he did for my sins. You know what Peter would say to that? Okay, where's the fruit? You may know it intellectually, but is it bearing any fruit in your life? It's, it's useless knowledge. There's, there's nothing to show for it. You, you know it intellectually, but you're not living it out. Don't just hear the word and know it. Do what it says, right? We don't just do these things so that you can know a bunch of trivia. We don't just catechize our, our students, our kids, so that they can just forget it later. It's, we don't just have classes so that you can learn a bunch of useless knowledge. It's practical. But if you, if you step away from it, if you know, you can be so close in proximity to it and so far away from God's truth. How can the Spirit grow any sort of faith in you if you don't live in it? And in the problem, you forget what Jesus has done for you. Ironically, that's the solution. Remember what Jesus did for you. When you and I focus on everything that Jesus has done, that's what moves us along. You will not grow in your faith by just trying harder, listening more, someone guilt-tripping you. And I, I pray, by the way, that you don't think that pastor's job is to guilt you into it. If that's the case, please come talk to me and we got we to gotta change that. My, my job is not to guilt you. But instead, what I get to do is show you the thing that can change you, and that's the gospel. The only thing that will change you to grow in your faith is when you remember Exactly what Peter says so many people have forgotten, that you've been cleansed from your sins. Think about that. Your sin completely separated you from a holy God and you are far worse than you ever could even conceive. And along comes God, sends his son Jesus because he loves you far more than you will ever be able to believe and understand. And he cleansed you from that sin. He washed it away. Because he washed it away, as far as the east is from the west, that is what moves you and melts you to change. Because someone is going to come along and they're going to hurt you. Intentionally, unintentionally, with words, with actions, and you know what you're going to want to do? Hurt him right back. But if you remember Jesus, 
And you say, I hurt him. I nailed him to the cross. And yet he is so slow to anger, abounding in love. And if you see how God treated you, you know what that's going to do? You're going to add to your faith, godliness, goodness, kindness. Because that's how you're going to treat that individual. When you, when you get annoyed by someone else's tendencies and you just want to be so impatient and angry and just rah, strangle them, right? If you remember, Jesus Christ was so patient for you. And you'll say, yeah, I made so many mistakes. And God dealt me with me so patiently, and I'm going to deal with that person patiently. Do you see how it's the gospel that moves you? You see how it's God's grace that changes you? When you hear someone who has done something so mean to you, and you just want to be so bitter, and you want to hold a grudge against that person, and then you remember, wait a second, Jesus Christ on the cross said to those people who were killing him, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. He didn't hold any grudges. And you can say, he forgave me for what I have done to him. And that frees you to add to your faith forgiveness and kindness and love and affection. And when you want to just hoard and be selfish about your stuff and store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, but then when you see, wait a second, Jesus Christ emptied heaven, emptied the treasures all over me with his life, death, and resurrection so that I have everything. And it frees you to say, Oh, what is the world to me? Take the world, but give me Jesus. Here you go, God. Everything I have, right? And on and on and on. Do you see how the gospel changes you? That's the key. So remember it. Don't just listen. Put it into practice. Or as Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith all of these things. And watch as the Spirit works inside of you to cause you to be the disciple he wants you to be.